This is the Mountain Practice Journeys podcast, and I'm your host, Cindy. I gladly welcome you to this comfy, cozy space for introverts, highly sensitive people, and solopreneurs who help and heal. This is a place for practical, nature-based, magical support for your business and life. Gather around the hearth, get comfortable, and settle in. I'm glad you're here. Hello there, and welcome back to the Mountain Practice Journeys podcast. I'm your host, Cindy. Here in episode 91, I chat with Michael Tui of Integrative Family Counseling about what to know when counseling first responders. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Mountain Practice Journeys podcast. I'm back today with Michael Tui of Integrative Family Counseling, and we had a chat last week about the healing powers of play and play therapy. And so if you haven't uh, listened to that, go back and check that out. But today we're going to be talking about counseling with first responders. And so welcome back, Michael. Thank you. Great to be back for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Why don't you tell people a little bit, if they haven't listened to the episode before, a little bit about you and who you are? Yes. And and because we're talking about first responders, I'll go a little bit more into depth with um, why first responders and um, how that's related to me. So I shared in the last episode, I'm from originally from Hawaii. I was born and raised there on the island of Oahu. I came out here to North Carolina about 10 years ago um, to be closer to the family, my wife's side of the family, to be exact. Um, and prior to you know, taking up the mantle and, and uh, working in the field of mental health, I was actually a law enforcement officer uh, for a while there and really enjoyed my time. You know, truth be told, um, I know there's um, a lot of different viewpoints when it comes to law enforcement in the country today. Um, but my experience, you know, uh, with those that I work with and even with the communities was great. I loved it. Um, I decided, you know, when I was a law enforcement officer that I wanted to learn more about mental health because I saw it every day in different ways, whether it was domestic violence, whether it was homelessness, whether it was um, um, uh, panic attacks, you name it, um, grief, loss, suicide. Uh, we saw it, you know, um, on the front lines constantly. And so I realized that if I wanted to be a better um, police officer, that it would be helpful to really learn more about, you know, mental health. And so that's what began my journey into going back to school. Um, I already had my degree in psych and I realized that, Hey, if I want to do more, I could you know continue on with my master's and uh, decided to go with um, marriage and family counseling there at Shamanad University. And, um, you know, the rest was history. I just loved it so much that uh, I went straight, you know, I guess went straight into it. And um, that became my focus um, after leaving Hawaii and full into uh, counseling and mental health here. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I know, like I mentioned in the last episode, we, uh, we met in supervision together and I, I know that, I don't know if it was toward the end of that or, when you were getting involved with one of the local uh, in the local areas in like working with first responders and, and supporting in that way. So yeah, if you feel up for it, talking a little bit about what, uh, what that was. Yes. Yeah, so to talk about that a bit. Um, I never thought I would marry the two so quickly. Um, I did imagine myself you know, spending some time up here in North Carolina with my wife's side of the family and eventually moving back to Hawaii to 
uh, maybe support uh, the first responder culture, um, whether it be law enforcement, fire, EMS, you name it. But um, after four and a half years at the therapeutic boarding school, primarily working with families and young children, um, um, I was made known of a situation that happened in our local um, community here in Henderson County. We unfortunately lost a few of our responders to suicide and um, local government decided that you know, there needed to be um, something specifically to address you know, some of these underlying problems or underlying issues when it came to mental health and well-being. So long story short, a friend of mine who was a paramedic uh, reached out to me and let me know about you know, what they were looking for, the position. And he knew my background. He knew I was a law enforcement officer. He knew that I was a, a therapist at the time, counselor at that time. And, um, you know, one thing led to another. I was like, yeah, let's give it a shot. You know, I I uh, put my application in and you know, had those interviews. And before I knew it, I was with uh, the Henderson County Wellness Clinic, which is a, um, a clinic uh, specialized for Henderson County employees. And, they, with the suicides that ha had occurred, they were wanting to develop uh, a program first of its kind from what from what I learned in this region, let alone um, one of the few in the country that specialize in working with first responders. And what that looked like also included like riding along with them in their in their vehicles. So on the EMS truck, you know, in their um, police vehicles, their um, um, being there on scene if needed. Um, if there was a you know, pretty bad scene, we could be available 24 seven. And then of course we would also do what we called debriefings. And so after a big incident, um, we would you know set up a special group where they could process you know, some of the traumas that they may have experienced. And we've learned you know, through different protocols that we were able to implement that, that helped them to better you know, understand um, both the effects of events on their mental well-being and how that could lead to other um, major problems that unfortunately is stereotypical amongst the first responder culture, uh, whether it's you know, um, addiction, uh, domestic violence, you know, all, all these other challenges that you hear of at times when it comes to uh, family dynamics within the first responder uh, you know, families. And so our, our big goal was, of course, to prevent suicide, but mainly to teach, educate, and shift the stigma from what we refer to as the suck it up culture to it's okay to seek help. You know, it's okay to um, get connected with peers and and basically, you know, take care of yourself because they're you know, they're taught and trained you know, day in and day out to care for other people, and so it's hard sometimes for them to accept care for themselves. So, mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, that sounds like an amazing program. And, and I was, yeah, it's so cool that you were able to, to work with them, especially with your, um, with your background and education and experience. It was like, it sounded like it was a really a great fit. And I know that now you have a, um, a private practice, a group practice, and I'm sure, I assume that you maybe um, work with first responders as a therapist um, and thinking about, about that because you intimately know that culture because you've experienced it with being a first responder. But 
um, for someone who hasn't experienced that and they're just, you know, your regular old therapist and like, what are some of the things that um, would be important for, for them to know when working with first responders and maybe, um, yeah, so we'll just start with that question because I know that sure. that's a big one. Yeah, that 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 quite is a that is a big one. You know, in the beginning of the program, so it's been about five years in operation, and um, one of our our big goals in the beginning was to help not just educate first responders about signs that they could be aware of, um, and how to you know, get the support they needed, but also on the opposite end, how to support therapists or clinicians, local counselors. Um, in working with our responders um, because they are a unique culture, right? They're a unique, unique group in, in, in some ways. Um, and so, you know, what makes them unique, of course, is their daily experiences. I mean, some of us won't see what they see daily ever in our life, right? So it's whether it's a suicide, whether it's, you know, a child um, in crisis, um, you know, you name it, they've seen the worst of the worst. And sometimes when that comes into your office, and you've never had that experience that can be um obviously you know we're we're taught to manage this in in many ways but when it's when it's coming to you from a first responder it can be fairly graphic and so that can be traumatizing for you so that vicarious trauma as they're telling their story and um it's sad for me to say this but that's partly why I want to do this podcast on this subject is that there have been uh, responders that have come to me and said they've sought help. You know, they've gone to this person or they've you know, sought help from EAP or other counselors in the area. And when they went in and told their story, they felt like they had to counsel the counselor. Yeah. Uh, because it was, you know, you know, it was, it was shocking. It was traumatizing just to hear you know, the details. And so we help educate them too, that they don't have to always retell the story in details, not, not for the counselor's sake, but you know, for their own sake too. Um, and then on the flip side, as I said, you know, educating counselors that you know, they're, you know, they're, it's not for everyone, but there'll, there'll be some really bad stories that they'll, they'll repeat. Uh, language, uh, you know, is another one. They'll drop the F-bomb, you know, left and right. And um, truth be told, if you do find yourself working with a first responder, would like to work with that culture, that that group, um, it will be helpful for them to feel that they could speak in their language, in their way when they come to see you. Um, in fact, when I tell them like, oh yeah, you can, you know, you can swear, I don't care. Cause initially they're like, oh, this is a professional environment. And so they kind of feel reserved. They don't want to say anything, but once they feel like they can speak the way they always speak, I mean, it becomes a lot easier for them to, um, to relax and um, be able to converse in that way. Another thing to be mindful of, especially if, if it's with law enforcement, you know, you're working with, um, uh, and they may be on duty and they may be coming in during their break or even afterwards, they may be packing and mm-hmm. right? so have a gun on them. And so if you feel uncomfortable with that in your office, that's something to be mindful of. Um, some counselors will have like a lockbox where they can put it in and lock it up before they come in. I like, you know that's like, you know, in their office, but, you know, on the side there. Me personally, because of my background, I mean, they could wear it. I always give them the option if they want to take it off. Um, and truth be told, like once they get relaxed enough, they'll they would rather take that twenty five pound you know belt off their their waist uh, for that short hour that you're with them, or or you know how much time, however much time you're with them. So that's another thing to be mindful of. So you got the stories they'll tell, 
the language they'll use, weapons in your office, um, and and you may want to put some structure into this part, but you know they may also be in crisis at any time during the day, right? Because their schedule does not operate from a nine to five. I mean, they're working twenty four seven, and if they are um, on a call, that's really bad. And sometimes, if you're providing this as a service, you know they may want to first reach out to you. Which, truth be told, to a degree, you you kind of would want that because some of the other supports that they may get prior to coming to see you may make things worse, um, may amplify the situation. So those are things to consider. Um, we do have some great resources in the area, which is awesome. Within the last five years, that have come about because I think of some of the the need that we've seen. So those are just some things to to consider. Yeah, I think that's important. And yeah, as we're talking, it's just one of these things that's like another area of competence, because as therapists, we have areas that we get training in and that we're competent in. So we don't cause more harm, you know, because none of us really, we don't want to harm our clients. But sometimes that happens like through this unintentional way because we're we may find ourselves working with a client that we may not have specific training in the area that we find ourselves working in. So it's it's just that responsibility to know your clients really well and mm-hmm. and seek out all the supports that you can to to become knowledgeable so we're not adding unintentionally adding on any harm when we're working with them. Um, so I know you said it's it's come a long way just in in the most recent bit in some of this, but are there um, any? I don't know. I'm just thinking of like trainings or educational places that people can go or therapists can go that would better help them when working with the population, or is that still kind of new and in development? I mean, it definitely is newer, but there, thank goodness, there are some um, valuable programs out there that's sponsored by a lot of these uh, agencies, these first responder agencies, whether it be law enforcement or or what. Um, one that I would definitely recommend looking up is um, ICISF.org or the International Critical Incident Stress Foundation. Um, so on... Um, on their particular website, they have so many different trainings available, um, not just how to work with first responders, but even how to be become a, what they call um, peer support. So doing these debriefings that I mentioned, so after a, a traumatic event or a call, uh, we just had one actually recently, we had a few teen suicides in our county recently, and um, naturally, um, our peer support team, which is made up of many different individuals from different agencies, uh, fire, law, um, dispatch, these individuals decided to get specific training to be able to operate or facilitate this group for those first responders that were first on the scene, right? They had to be there to um, process the scene and everything. So the um, when they have these groups, these these debriefing groups, they also invite mental health professionals that have been specifically trained to be a part of these groups. And so that's probably the best way right now that I know of to, one, get the training that you would need to uh, work with this population, but also to have direct experience working um, amongst actually other peers that are you know currently you know, with fire, currently with police, and in helping in that way. 
And that's a good way to also build rapport and and, and build credibility with this population. Because when they see you at these events, when they see you at these debriefings, you know, they can already start um, trusting that you, know, you have good intentions. And that's another big thing I forgot to mention. You know, when working with law enforcement or first responders, um, one reason why many of them struggle in seeking help is because for the longest time, historically, whenever they would get evaluated, right, psychologically, um, it's either in the beginning of their career in order for them to get their job or when they get in trouble for them to get their weapons back or to get back on the truck. And so for the longest time, it's been um, correlated, mental health and seeking help has been correlated with discipline <laughs> or, you know, you could potentially lose your job if you don't see this person. And so they already have this, you know, hesitancy to connect with any mental health professional, especially if it's directed by the agency um, superiors, right? Those that are, in, you know, up on the upper um, uh, white towers is what they refer to them as. If, if they were asked to see a therapist, they already have that hesitancy to share their story because, you know, it could go back. And of course, no confidentiality on our end, it's, you know, it's protected, but in their mind, they're like, oh no, whatever I say here, it's going to lead, lead to me losing my job. So yeah. that was a big thing that shift and change, you know, over time. Yeah, I think that's a really important point. Um, when you, the only time you've ever seen a therapist was like maybe having this evaluation before you get your job, or mm -hmm. if something happens and then they're evaluating you to see if maybe you can keep your job and just the stress associated with that. So it would probably be, um, you know, it would, it would be nice to have a different experience where it's just like seeing someone for support just for that support when it's, when there's not all this on the line about like this other person may be deciding your, uh, whether you're fit to, to keep your job. Yeah. So yeah, I'm glad that you brought that up because that's an important consideration. Yeah. yeah. So the, so the I, ICISF will probably be your best starting resource. There are a few other programs out there. I can't remember the name off the top of my head that have specific trainings for mental health professionals. Um, uh, speaking of specific trainings, I mentioned in my last um, podcast that if anyone's you know needing some support or direction when it came to play therapy, I was available. The same goes with working with first responders. Um, I actually have a awesome staff and one of my counselors that's part of my group practice, he is actually um, a active uh, law enforcement officer and a counselor and an educator at the Justice Academy. And he has such great experiences when it comes to not just the law enforcement world, but also counseling um, those um, through traumatic experiences, through you name it, everything. Um, he's pretty much experienced both from a counseling standpoint and also, you know, um, as a law enforcement officer himself. So uh, with our practice, you know, we definitely can provide um, direction and consultation if you're working with, if you're currently working with the first responder and their family um, or planning on um, supporting that population. Well, we, we definitely have resources to help. Oh, wonderful. And I'm assuming since it's consultation and with other professionals that it's not really like a, you could offer it to anyone no matter where they're at. It's not like, oh, if I'm offering supervision to a student or someone getting their license, mm -hmm. you have to be, you know, in that same state and have that same license. 
But with this type of consultation, it's, I'm assuming you could potentially work with anyone, like any therapist that may have a first responder uh, that they're working with and just need some additional support. Yeah, most definitely. In fact, we have some great connections already with um, treatment centers and other facilities, agencies that work with first responders across the nation. And that just reminded me, um, along with the meeting with a counselor, especially one that's you know trained in, in working with that population, we do have other resources that uh, specifically work with first responders. And one is a treatment facility in Florida. And there's a few others that are, um, I guess, lack of better words, legit. Mm-hmm. Um, truly support first responders, um, but I've I've been able to um, guide um, certain res- certain um, law enforcement officers and paramedics um, down to these facilities and basically recover. Right, whether it was drug addiction, whether it was um, a mental health um, challenge or alcohol, and so we've we've seen over the years um, great success with the way their program is operated because they have former military or former um, responders that are counselors. They have a facility. This one I'm talking about is called Shatterproof, uh, located in Deerfield, I think. Um, I can get the information to you, Cindy. Yeah. Um, Florida. Um, But they have, uh, last time I was there a few years ago, they had about 30 plus uh, law enforcement officers, uh, firefighters um, in that one facility. And so, the way they have things set up is very similar to um, what maybe a firehouse is used to, right? They eat together, they sleep together, they make food together, they attend classes together. So it builds this like great camaraderie when it comes to healing. Um, so there's some, there's a few other programs that do that really well too across the country. So that's another way. Um, if you're in need of a, of, again, of a direction, if you're, you have a, uh, first responder that you're working with that maybe needs higher level care. Um, we have some great recommendations in that area. Oh, wonderful. Yeah, that's so important. And like you were talking about at the beginning of the episode with just the amount of trauma that they have to face on a daily basis. Like you said, some of the things that they see every day are like something that we may never see in our lives or maybe like one time in our lives. And that would be really traumatic to us. So I can't imagine just that compounding of really difficult scenarios. So I think it is super important, like all these resources and all this support that's out there. And um, like as first responders, being able to seek out the support um, from people that maybe understand and are qualified to help. Um, so so you don't run into maybe working with a therapist that, you know, has good intentions, but maybe isn't mm-hmm. equipped to help in the way that you need that support. So, um, and if you're a therapist that maybe used to be a first responder, or maybe yes. you're familiar with that, um, that culture, like we talked about, or if you're married to a first responder, or if you really like um, have the training or the education, like be sure and put that on your profile and or on your website, just so people are aware and they can know that you would be a supportive person to work with. I'm glad you mentioned that, Cindy, because, you know, along with the first responder themselves, the family's in such great need for many reasons. But um, if you are a counselor that 
and then wants to work with a family too. And that's, that's a big need. I love that you said that if you're currently a responder or used to be, or even former military, because you know, a lot of, especially law enforcement officers, you know, they were former military, um, similar experiences, right? Uh, and you're looking to go to school for counseling or, you know, wanting to, you know, you know I guess dip your toes um, in that direction please, please, please reach out to me because that's one of my biggest passions is to help those that are wanting to, um, you know, work with that population, especially if you had that, you know, prior personal experience, you know, you're such a needed resource out there right now. Um, and that's one of my passions is to, I've convinced a few um, in the last few years to take that on because, you know, it's a good retirement job too. Yeah, <laughs> to yeah to it is. <laughs> yeah, I love that. Yeah, any final thoughts on this topic before we close out today? Um, let's see. I mean, I think so many different things you know, I would like to share, but I think one that sticks out in my mind is um, whether working with a responder or their family, um, it, you know, compassion goes such a long way. I think with this particular culture, especially our law enforcement officers nowadays, there's just this big social stigma around um, them as professionals in their job and then them as human beings. And so, you know, if you have a chance, right, in, in your day-to-day operations, um, if you see a a responder at lunch or, you know, passing by, you know, uh, please let them know you care because, you know, they, they do this work day in and day out. Um, sometimes suffering in silence and it goes a long way when you can express your compassion and and care for them. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's wonderful. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here today. And why don't you let people know how they can um, reach out to you if they want to take you up on any of these, um, you know, amazing supports that you have. Yeah. The best way would be um, on my website, which is um, integrative family counseling NC as in North Carolina dot com and so there you'll you'll um you'll find information how to contact us directly and then also uh, read up about our services available mm-hmm. wonderful yeah thanks again for being here and this is such an important topic and um i just appreciate your time and and your passion and the way that you're you're approaching this as you help support uh first responders cindy thank you for all you do and putting this all together Thank you so much for joining me today. Be sure to tune in next week for a new episode. And if you haven't yet listened to episode 90, I urge you to do that. In that episode, I spoke with Michael about the healing powers of play therapy. I'm truly grateful that you choose to join me here for practical, nature-based, magical support for your business and life. For more inspiration and to see what I'm up to, join me over on Instagram at Mountain Practice Journeys. If you're enjoying yourself here, please head over to Apple Podcast and hit those five stars and I'll be over the moon. If you'd like to work with me, join me in Forest Mind, my cozy, supportive, small group mastermind for introverted, highly sensitive solopreneurs who help and heal. And I'd love to see you at a tiny retreat sometime. May the forest be with you.